It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking to my guest today. Joining me is Brian Burns. Now, Brian is the host of a very popular podcast titled The Brutal Truth About Sales and Selling, which is a great name, and author of a book called The Maverick Selling Method, Simplifying the Complex Sale. Brian, welcome to Accelerate. Great. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be here. So take a minute, introduce yourself. How'd you, yeah. like, how'd you get your start in sales? Because you know, I know you were trained as an engineer and then moved into sales. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think we have a similar background and a sense of starting with startups, but I started as an engineer and then became kind of a sales engineer before the sales engineer role really existed. Mm-hmm. It was basically some sales rep would have a sales call and they say, hey, who's free? That's right. Or who's willing. <laughs> who's willing. Who yeah. knows more than me, which is basically anybody. Yeah. So I was kind of the, the ponytail guy who kind of would go out and explain how the product would work. And at dinner one night, I realized uh, over casual conversation that that sales rep was making almost three times what I was making. (laughs) And (laughs) And you were doing all the work. Well, she did a very good job of introducing me. And then (laughs) standing back, (laughs) standing back, you know, we'd go like an hour, hour and a half on the product. And then she would follow up with a proposal. And I I think I could introduce myself and I think I could figure out that proposal part on my own. Mm -hmm. But, you know, since then, I've learned that it's a whole lot more than that. And I was uh, dramatically underestimating the the amount of effort and complexity. Sure, sure. But, I mean, it, it is a sort of an interesting conundrum, though, that we see, and especially in tech companies and startups. You know, when I was in charge of sales teams and startups, you know, we oftentimes we wouldn't pay commission while we were in the early stages of the company because no sale got done without the engineers being, you know, absolutely involved, as involved as the sales rep. And it didn't, you know, there's no sense of fairness there paying the sales rep more when they couldn't have possibly gotten the, the job done without the engineer. Yeah, it is a conundrum and and it's hard to do right because even when I was a sales engineer, uh, you know, in the the following job, uh, there was no bonus. It was pure salary. And when you're traveling a lot and, you know, you're being, you know, kind of forced into very uncomfortable situations at the end of the quarter and, <laughs> and your, your weekends aren't necessary, you know, and the sales rep would say, well, I can't help you, so I have to go home. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was reminiscing with somebody once about a boss forcing me, he really wanted to get this order before the end of the quarter and the customer knew the game, right? They knew that, that if they just waited, held out, the price was going to get better. And I told him, I said, look, we'll get this order January one and the margin will be much better. But I was having to call the customer at home on Christmas Eve, like 8 PM on Christmas Eve yeah. <laughs> to get the order. So yeah, not good stuff in general. Right. It's, it's very difficult. So then, um, I, I got into sales and I just, um, at first, I didn't really like it because it was a lot of stress and you didn't get treated the same way. You know, as an engineer, you were treated as, you know, 
they replaced commission or bonus with, you know, accolades, I guess. <laughs> and when you, not many accolades in sales. <laughs> no. No. Especially if a, a deal doesn't come in, no excuses acceptable. Uh, but I, you know, very quickly kind of learned the system. And I was always very frustrated because there was tons of sales stuff out there on the door-to-door and the telesales model, the simple sale. Mm-hmm. But there was almost nothing written on the complex sale by anyone who had done it in the last 20 years. Uh, So, you know, I I constantly was looking for that. And that kind of, you know, motivated me to had to come up with it myself. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) So, well, yeah, I do want to get into that. But before we get into that, I so you've I love that I said the title of your podcast, The Brutal Truth About Sales and Selling. So what are some of these brutal truths? Yeah, so what I see, and, and I, I think I do listen to your podcast, so I'm very familiar with a lot of your views and agree with, uh, agree with them. I think that there's two spectrum or two ends of a spectrum. Mm-hmm. There's the hardworking crowd, the people who, I think it's kind of a cop-out, who just say, you know, work hard or grind it out, hustle more. And, you know, I can certainly put the names to that mode. And, and, and nobody goes, that, that's, that's great stuff. That's, but that's a cop-out. It's like no one's going to say, oh, that's bad advice. It's not bad advice. It's good advice, but it's not complete advice. Exactly. Yeah. And then at the other end of the spectrum is the silver bullet crowd that says, oh, all you have to do is buy our product, take our methodology, and everything will work perfectly. 300% improvement in sales. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee it. Right. Those yeah. things always drive me nuts when I see that. You know, every time there's a methodology or some sales trainer or something, it's like these these percentages, you know, this is what you're going to experience. It's like, uh, well, I don't know. I was going to say it sounded a little Trumpian, but uh, you know, I don't want to get into the political side of things. But it's just, how do people still buy into that these days? Because they are looking for that silver bullet, right? They, they want it. And it comes down to managers don't want to understand how the sausage is made. They just want a nice, juicy sausage on their plate. And they, and they treat salespeople kind of like the garbage collector, where they get paid more than the fireman, but the job isn't as clean. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great, a great analogy. <laughs> You know, you have to go around, depending on the weather, pick up all this stuff, deal with the smell, and keep a smile, and make sure you put the cans back in the right place. And Unless you're in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> so, managers buy into it really easily, and I think that's a lot of the success that you see happening with these um, uh, advisory companies and consulting companies putting out books with numbers attached to it and re- referencing this research that is unpublished, unscientific, which is also known as marketing. Mm. Yeah. And you call them out and you invite them on your podcast and you want to debate them and they never want to talk about it because they've never sold. Right. And, yeah. And right. you're like, uh, would you get onto a plane with a pilot who's done a lot of research on flight? <laughs> you know? But never flown, right? Never right. flown. Or a heart surgeon who's you know observed several operations but uh, never really took a scalpel in his own hand. Those types of things. And that's kind of where the brutal truth kind of comes from, where I think reps today uh, really want to hear what are they doing wrong, what does work, 
uh, what's the real meat behind it, and you know, hear from somebody who's who's done it, who's kind of um, you know has got the bruises and the uh, the war wounds. Well, one of the things that you talk about in in your book and on the podcast and so on is is that you refer to a sort of uh, natural selling, <laughs> but but. Yeah, you know, isn't there this this trend though? When we talk about the silver bullet, but there's also this trend to think that somehow automation becomes like the new silver silver bullet. Excuse me, and that yeah, you know, we're gonna be able to dispense with the sort of messy person to person selling at some point. And I don't see that ever really occurring. It's gone wrong. It's gone awry. And I think the perfect uh, example of it is the marketing automation space, which has turned into the spam automation space. And what, what happens is you go to a website because you read a piece of content that's interesting and maybe valuable. But to get the real meat of it, you have to forfeit your email address. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to learn about the company. You didn't want to be contacted. And you probably don't want to be on their list. But you did want that juicy piece of content that, you know, promised a lot of answers. So you, you give it up. And all of a sudden, now you've got to either unsubscribe or delete or overlook, you know, the bombardment of the, you know, two or three times a week of their message. And, Reps are very good at hitting the send button. We can all hit the send button. And we're all looking for the magic script. And we're forgetting that there's a human being on the other end of that uh, email address. And I think automation's great. I love tools. Uh, you know, Me I too. have a. Yeah. I use them. <laughs> I use a ton of them. And I play with them. And I love building lists and coming up with ideas and stuff. But none of it works unless you're really connecting with another person and bringing something to them, giving before you're trying to get. Yeah. And you see that then with companies that suddenly now a lead becomes just somebody who's downloaded a white paper. Yeah. And, and that... And that sort of compounds the difficulty, right? It, it makes it worse. I yeah. think uh, the inbound thing has increased the complexity because even if you, you know, read about you know the, you know HubSpot, who's kind of the pioneers in this space, that it, it causes this enormous problem because now you've got what are really contacts, and now somebody has to qualify them and turn them into or identify them as. Are they worth something? Are they a prisoner? Are they a consultant in Bangladesh? Who knows who they are? Because they, they have, you know, uh, M5 at Google, gmail.com. That's you don't me. Know. That's the address I when, I when I sign up for ebooks. Oh, now we know where to find you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've become a master at the, the fake names and the fake email addresses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or the well, not the fake email addresses, but the ones that have no no bearing of uh, resemblance to my name or anything. Um, so it seems like there is this so we've danger of sort of burning out prospect pools. I think it's going to happen. I think because we're really at a tipping point right now where email addresses are becoming visible. There's enough tools and technologies mm -hmm. out there to get, because that's kind of one of the last bastions of privacy. Um, on LinkedIn, we kind of know how to do it and either block it, the person or unconnect from the person. Twitter, we just ignore because the stream is too fast. We can't possibly keep up with it. Well, just like our inbox. 
our inbox is turning into that. Twitter, right? Exactly. Yeah. And what's, what's happening is that reps are now with these spam machine guns and the cadence machine guns, they're missing the point. The point is to come up with a way to scale your activity, not to annoy people or just, you know, try and do a lot of things that aren't going to add value. But, and that's a, so sort of a segue question. So it's really managers that are missing the point, not necessarily reps. I mean, reps are sort of injected into this process. But, yeah. but I think what's hard in some of these environments is to do sort of what you talk about in your book uh, is become this maverick, you know, become the rep who sort of defies convention and says there's a better way to do things and maybe pioneers that. Yeah, it seems like that's that's getting harder and harder for them to do, especially uh, given sort of the focus on these activity metrics that really don't relate to quality. It is, and in a lot of ways, I think we're going backwards in sales. I think the division of labor is good, but the KPIs are, are gone mad. The CRMs and the dashboards should be informational because once you tell somebody that you're going to start measuring something, you're going to do. They're going to do it because that. They know that you want to see it, mm-hmm. but they may fake it. And I'm, I'm talking now 20 years ago, I worked for a company where I was the first outside guy they hired. And, and I get to know all the inside guys. And I worked on the enterprise deals. They worked on the smaller deals. And they all had KPIs. And they all would call the, the movie theater 20 times a day to get their numbers up. <laughs> you know, the call times. <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> right, and, and it's like the manager would smile and nod, and they'd all roll their eyes. And it's like that you're not accomplishing anything there. What you want to do is find that maverick who finds a new way of doing it. You know, somebody who finds a way on Twitter or LinkedIn or through their network or through some tool to be able to find, connect, and engage with people in an, in an authentic way. Well, I think it's really the the path to success, right? I mean, I think if you're, and you're talking about being authentic, I mean, I think that for a rep, and I look at my own experiences, and I've talked about this in blogs and so on, as I certainly didn't fit the mold of <laughs> at the time of a typical salesperson, is I had to find a, a way to do it that that fit with me and the way I was and my strengths and my skills, and it didn't it didn't comply with the standard process that everybody else was using. Oh, yeah. I used to drive my bosses nuts. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, in, in my background, because usually I was one of the only salespeople who had a technical background, I wasn't the, the golf playing, martini drinking. No, me neither, all right. Yeah, and all of a sudden, people don't know how to relate to you. Why aren't you fitting in? And, and this is kind of how I empathize with women in sales, where they, they kind of don't fit into certain things, but yet in other ways, they're insanely effective. So yes. I. Yeah. So I had a way of connecting, you know, through users groups of my product because I could talk to the engineers and they'd be shocked that, you know, a guy with a tie, you know, could do anything other than give the pricing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. So, all right. So you have... Getting, so getting to the Maverick, I mean, you've you've got a list of five qualities, which I I love the qualities because I feel like I could have written them myself, is you talk about... You know, a maverick is somebody who's proactive, they're intelligent. We'll unpack these in a second. Motivated, competitive, and creative. And what I love about it is that nowhere in there was there 
hunter, closer, aggressive, extrovert, you know, these, these uh, labels that still to an incredibly high degree, I see companies put into their job postings or job descriptions when they're looking for new sales candidates, sometimes even sales management. Yeah, because I mean, how many interviews did you come out of where the feedback was he wasn't salesy enough? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm sure several. Right. Uh, That's what I heard from headhunters. And the coaching I'd always get is, you know, go have a couple of cups of coffee before you meet the guy. And (laughs) people have this. Because you have to get amped up, right? You got to get amped up. And they want somebody bouncing around that's going to grab you by the neck and not going to leave until you get the order. And some markets exist that way, you know, selling cars maybe or, you know, selling door to door. Uh, That worked because the aggressiveness and the transactional nature of it worked. But if you're selling a complex product that people don't really understand, not sure why they need it yet, costs a lot of money, takes multiple calls to get someone to understand it and appreciate the value and to get the money and the piece of paper out of the company, people don't want to deal with that personality very long. Mm. And I've had clients where they've asked me not to bring my manager in because... Oh, I've had that. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I remember sort of tiptoeing around the office on multiple occasions. I mean, I had one one boss who was the absolute mentor for me. but when he sort of got it in his mind that the prospect wasn't serious, yeah, it was Katie bar the door. I mean, you just you couldn't bring him in front of the prospect because uh, I had <laughs> one time we're going out to close a big deal, and he gets up and walks out in the middle of a meeting and accuses the prospect of not being serious, <laughs> which yeah. was a great technique at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but this was like one of the biggest deals I've ever worked on. My jaw just dropped as I watched him walk out the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I worked for a, a guy out of Manhattan who was used to selling into the financial services group, but it was a, in the tornado. There was a tremendous amount of demand for the product. Mm-hmm. And he talked like people in Manhattan talk, which is, you know, several words per minute higher than people in Virginia where we were. And the client actually asked him, did you use to sell vacuum cleaners? <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't get the joke. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so getting back to your list of five, five qualities, I, I want to, we have time to go through those, is, is you talk about being proactive. And I know people are going to confuse that with being aggressive, but you're really talking about inspiring and leading prospects. Which, yeah. which is really the job of a sales rep. And it's not, it's not to manipulate, persuade, or convince. You have to inspire and lead. You, you do. And you got to understand that you may know how to sell, but they do not know how to buy. I mean, that they may know how to determine what they like, but if you work in a, a medium to a large company, you may have not have marshaled a purchase request from initiation to closure before. And that... For anybody who's done the complex sale knows that deals don't really die during the first meeting. You really have to be kind of a C player not to get the first meeting right, where you leave and everybody's happy. They die shortly after that when somebody realizes all the work and administration and pieces that have to be put in place to get that order through an email to you or fax to you back in the day. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, even as you talk about, it, just it's daunting when you're the buyer and you said they don't have a lot of experiences and suddenly they look at, okay, well, there's like six other people have to coordinate and have input on this. And that just sounds tiring. It sounds tiring. And the first time they hear no, they believe it. Uh, they don't know how to recover from it. They don't know how to justify it. Uh, they, they, they don't know the legal process. They don't know, you know, the shipping and receiving process, the installation, uh, the impact that it'll have. You know, they, they think budget. They go, well, where is this elusive budget that someone's managing? It's mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't exist, right? It's, right? it's like whatever we can afford, whatever makes sense is what the budget is. Yeah, because oftentimes in, in those scenarios, you're not, if you're fortunate, and I've been fortunate time time in the past, is working some really big deals where I met my counterpart inside the buyer's organization, the Maverick inside there, and they could be the inspiration, the leadership on their end to get things done. But absent that person, um, yeah, I mean, the qualities you talk about really become important because not only do you have to inspire, you have to be open to learning as you talk about being intelligent, you got to... Because every deal is different. You know, the complex sale, there are no really prescribed steps. Right. And often you're working for somebody who doesn't understand it as well. Because often in these startups, they don't hire people who used to do startups. They hire people who come from the, the previous hot company, the Cisco, the Oracle, the, uh, the Google, the, the hot company. And that person was very good at scaling the organization, but not very good at, you know, initiating brand new, net new deals, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, which is very different. Oh, yeah, extremely, a completely different skill. Yes. And actually, I think a lot of times companies make a mistake because they bring this person on too soon to scale because... They really haven't gone through the learning curve to know what the ultimate target is. Yeah. I mean, they believe their own slide deck that they sold the investors on, you know, that it's, you know, straight up and to the right. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen that before. No? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think everyone uses the same chart. It's, It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's sort of interesting because I think it, your, is to your point, it really is completely different skill set. Those first, Sales, especially if it's a large, complex sale, is how do you get those first customers and how to really understand the lesson of what you learn from selling to them? Yeah, because a, a lot of people grew up in kind of what I call the beauty contest market, where the market's already established and there's five contenders and they all come in for the talent episode, the, <laughs> the bikini episode, the, you know, ask the questions, you know, how would you save the world? And everybody, and you looked at it as a commodity. And that's a different sale. That, and that's complex in and of itself. But before that market is established, there's the what is it and why do I need it market. Mm-hmm. That, you know, where the company's like zero to 10 million. And there might be three or four people at different stages that have some kind of product out there. You know, and you're one of the first salespeople hired. And they give you a laptop and they go, well, here's your quota. See you in three months. And you're out there trying to make stuff happen. That's a very different sale. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have <laughs> one, one startup I worked for where I was brought in to build a commercial part of the business. They were sort of a small defense contractor and they wanted to do some commercial business. And, and yeah, the charter was... We can do, we didn't have a product. It's basically, we can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> just as long us. as long as the customer pays for it. Yeah. And they're talking it, about paying for the development of it, not just the paying for oh, the product. Yeah. The customer had to pay for the engineering costs as well. So that's yeah, it's, that was a fairly blank slate. Yeah, and that, that's creativity. <laughs> that's the creativity. So, and that's not somebody that's scaling. I mean, I I have to admit, I'm I'm not the scaling guy. You know, I'm the I'm the front end. If somebody had a great uh, somebody I spoke to recently, a great description that called that uh, Renaissance salespeople, the Renaissance rep. You know, the people yeah. that come in and sort of. You know, can synthesize on multiple fronts, as you talk about. You know, proactive, intelligent, motivated, competitive, creative. Synthesize those qualities together because you're selling a vision of something that's that's not cast in concrete. And that's it. And I think most reps today, even though they might be more mature markets, they're probably not given a cherry territory. They're probably given a you know a brand new slice of a territory that no one cared about. That doesn't really fit the exact demographics that really work for them, and they're not given all the resources that they need. So, all of us have to kind of be creative in that space. Yeah, well, that's also that's that's that. If you're in that place as a rep where you're not getting the cherry cherry territory, that really sucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've had to go into lots of companies and sort of help them say, okay. You know, after you're these first four reps you hired, everybody else has failed. Now, there's a reason for that, <laughs> is that these four have all the business. Yes. Yeah, and you have to start reallocating that. Another another tough challenge. So before we get to the last segment of the show, so I just wanted to ask her one question about back to the brutal truth. So why, why is it that you know, some of these people that have these methodologies are just not adapting them to what's really occurring in the world today? I think it's, it's hard. <laughs> I think it's also that they haven't sold, that the facilitators um, haven't sold themselves. They're pretty much in facilitators. And I'm sure you were put through all the major methodologies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I liked it. I, I, liked, I, I liked the courses, um, but they really didn't fit what I did. And that's why I had to kind of come up with something on my own because it, the problem wasn't how I asked questions and in what sequence I asked questions. The problem was that deals got stuck. Deals would get stuck and I had to break the sale into the tiny pieces that really have to take place and nobody talked about that because the people who wrote those courses sold in the 80s uh, in the 90s, they were managers, and they then retire, and they come up with a course. And, and today, we're kind of replacing that with, um, oh, all you need is this 100-page book about what worked at this mega company. And I, I basically did what someone else did, and we call it something else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And you're like, okay. Sales 2.0. Yeah, and it's already obsolete. Right. You know, because how many times do you get emails? Well, who's responsible for buying uh, airplanes at your company? <laughs> <laughs> That's an extreme example. That's a great question. Yeah, because I I've got a couple that I'm actually sort of dueling back and forth with these days. Because now I I take pleasure. I sort of stop being passive in the face of some of these, and I start responding. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I understand that this is <laughs> this was an automated mail part of your cadence. You sent it to me. Somehow you got my name, maybe at a trade show, I breezed by your your booth and you scanned a badge or something. But do you understand the effect this is having, not just on me, but you know, all of your prospects? Yeah. Because it's clear you haven't done any, even the minutest bit of research. 
uh, into who am I, who I am, and so on. I I went through one company, a SaaS company in San Francisco that was selling enterprise level data management solutions, and an SDR was outreaching to me, reaching out to me, and wanted to set up a meeting with a regional VP that was going to be in my area. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how, how happy he'd be. <laughs> yeah, well, the regional VP was a, a woman. So I wrote to the regional VP and said, yeah, found her email on LinkedIn. And I wrote to her and I said, look, you know, this is, I got this email. Obviously, I'm not a prospect for this. So what percentage of your SDR's time are they spending doing outreach to people that in no way could ever be a prospect for your product? Yeah. And how does that flow through your process? And wouldn't you like to hear about a better way to do it? Yeah. And yeah. I never the, got a response, but no, uh, no, because there, you can count emails. You can't really quantify quality. And that's, exactly. that's the missing piece because that really takes effort. You know, looking at a dashboard, you can just check the dashboard off, sitting down with a rep and say, Hey, check out Andy's LinkedIn profile. Oh, he's got a training company. Probably not in our demographic. You know, might be a great referral, might be a great person to have in your network, but he's not a customer. Yeah. No, and I think that's the trouble with the dashboards. It makes everybody a manager, right? Yeah. yeah I was at a, a conference not that long ago, a couple months ago, where where one of the themes was that you're, in essence, I'll boil it down to, is stop coaching your sales reps. <laughs> and it's like, seriously? Yeah. One-on-ones are a waste of time. Oh, good. And there's like this applause from the from the audience that was listening to the talk. And I'm like, oh my god, okay, interesting. I don't think that's the case. And I'm, everybody's listening. They're not a waste of time if they're done right. So um, anyway, all right, we're gonna move to the last segment of my show. I gosh, we're gonna have to have you back and <clears throat> get into your books. We really didn't have time to do that, but we definitely would love to at some point. So. Um, Got some standard questions I ask all my guests, and the first one's a hypothetical scenario. And in this scenario, you, Brian, have just been hired as VP of sales at a company whose sales have stalled out. And CEO, board, anxious to get sales unstuck and back on track. And, you know, sales turnaround has to begin somewhere. So you're in charge. What two steps would you take your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact in terms of starting to turn things around? Well, seeing as I do this for a living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I've heard so many responses on your podcast, and it's everyone kind of colors it into what they do. But <clears throat> I think since it's stalled, you got to ask yourself what changed. And I would talk with, I typically start with the rep who's doing the best. Then I ask the manager, who's the rep who should not be doing really well, but it is? You know, the, the person who you'd say, like, I couldn't imagine that person being successful at sales, but he's killing it mm-hmm. or she's killing it. And I interview them. And then I, I, I go down to the C players, the people who are disgruntled. And I go, I'll ask, you know, where do deals get stuck? What happens? Are you not getting enough leads? Uh, are you running into competition? And you really got to dissect that. And what's scary is that more often than not, it's not really a sales problem. It's something changed. Either a new competitor came out, someone lowered their price, support socks, um, the product isn't keeping up, uh, somebody left marketing, and all of a sudden the leads stopped. 
something changed and trying to unravel that. Unfortunately, most of the time, it's not within the sales group. Sales can always get better. I mean, there's no max that we run into. But if services change with one client, it happened. I found out that they bring in the deal, but then the deal would get hosed in support. No one would get called back. Mm -hmm. The customer Mm -hmm. would get upset. And the salespeople would get disgruntled because they're they're like, I I kill myself for three months to get this started. And then it drops. So I think that that the diagnosing of the illness before you start medicating, I think, is really important. Interesting. Yeah, because it's, it's, as I've talked about before, is, is we all have these biases, right? These filters. Yeah. Look at the product. As you talk about, so many of the guests, because I've asked this question over 250 times, <laughs> is, is, yeah, the bias is always to sales. Yeah, you know, if you have a content person on, they'll say, well, I'll look at the content and see how the, what's caused that problem there. You get somebody who's a CRM person, oh, I think the CRM is in the way. And it's like, it might be, but I think you really have to diagnose it. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so some rapid-fire questions for you. You can give me one-word answers or expound if you wish. And the, the first one is, when you, Brian, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? I think it's my curiosity. And I think the key thing I think that's worked for me in sales is I kind of put myself in the other person's place. And I really try and understand what they're facing, what they care about, and what they need to do to, to make it happen. Okay, excellent. Who's your sales role model? Um, you know, I, I would think my, my parents were both salespeople. Interesting. And both mom and dad. Yeah. Completely different approaches. <laughs> yeah. But equally successful. Um, so I think I, I grew up in that environment where, you know, every time something went wrong, they would explain why it went wrong. That, you know, you were just thinking about yourself, you're not mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. what the other mm-hmm. person's going through, you know, and, you know, it's, a politician would go crooked. They'd always say, well, that's whatever is in his best interest. That's what they're going to do. So yeah. you kind of understood human motivation. Yeah. And the thing I, I love about that answer is that we have this tendency, we all have, as we all came of age to think that we've reinvented everything that went before us, right? Absolutely. So in our generation, we reinvented sales because you know, everybody before us was Willie Loman, sales yeah. sack carrying a bag, and so on. As you learned these lessons from your parents, these are the know, timeless. These are sort of timeless truths about sales and dealing with people. You know, much like I tell people, you know, read. You want to read a great book about sales? Read Dale Carnegie. <laughs> I mean, right. Written yeah. in nineteen thirties. Fabulous book, and still sell. It's so relevant to today. So, oh, I love that answer. Okay, so. Aside from your own book, and maybe aside from Dale Carnegie, what's one book every salesperson should read? Um, I, what I really liked, I, I think, over the last couple years, um, I, uh, Stephen Kotler's book um, on flow. I'm trying to remember the actual name of it. I had him on my podcast, and it kind of put things together because you read so many books like Tony Robbins' stuff on motivation and neurolinguistics programming and everything. But that, that emotion that we're trying to get, that flow state, mm-hmm. if you're able to get that in sales, and certainly over a long period of time, and be able to manage it, it's insanely powerful. Got it. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Well, I'm going to check right. that one out. Rise of Superman. That's the name, the title. The book, book, Rise of Superman. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Okay. And uh, 
gosh, last question for you. What, what music's on your playlist these days? Um, I like uh, U2, mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of the uh, 80s and 90s um, rock and roll, I guess. <laughs> ACDC's good, too. I know that's a favorite. It is. It's a big one on the show, ACDC. Yeah. And it's actually, it's, it's you know, cross generations. It's not just uh, people that were young when ACDC came out. Something's still about ACD. It's very, ACDC, it's very enduring. And it's also, I think, a, a key trigger to get into that flow state. <laughs> so it's very helpful. <laughs> All right, we're going to put that down. I mean, I, that's originally when I first started the podcast. I asked the question, what you know, what sort of got you in the the sales frame of mind? But uh, a lot of people, it's like, oh no, I can't listen to music to get. And I was like, gosh, I used to get in the car and I'd <laughs> find it, you know, put in a CD or whatever it was, and just crank it up to. Some head pounding, head banging mark to prepare for calls. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you got to be motivated. You have to. You know, let's face it, you're driving around, and especially, you know, even today when people are sitting at their desk, you know, a lot of inside people, you know, you get a few hang ups, you get a few unsubscribes. You need something to get you going again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, go to a, go to a room or walk out to your car and, and spend a couple minutes and just, yeah, get, get amped up. Nothing wrong with that at all. So, well, Brian, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, tell people how they can find out more about you. Yeah, so I'm all over social. Um, it's uh, Brian Burns on LinkedIn, uh, as well as on Twitter. And um, it's uh, Maverick Method is the uh, the website. Uh, and Maverick Method on YouTube as well. All right. Excellent. Well, good. Well, thanks again. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success and easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine, whether you listen on your commute, in the gym, or make it part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Brian Burns, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.